everybody. How's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Titan Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, this is Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Yeah, I'm doing okay. A little bit jet-lagged. Just uh, got off a plane from New York pretty recently, and the plane ride back gave me some time to think. It also gave me the time to watch the first four episodes of Night Court, which, frankly, a little uneven, but mostly to think. What I ended up spending a lot of time thinking about was how terrible it is that education budgets are being cut. It's especially unsettling that it's for elementary school kids, because the class sizes are already between like 30 and 50 for a lot of first and second graders. And that's terrible for a lot of reasons. I mean, first of all, when you've got a class size that large, the only real teaching option available is going to be a lecture-style curriculum, which is just not effective for children that age. They learn much better through one-on-one interaction and also workshopping things with their peers. But when you have a class size that large being taught by a single teacher, that's just not going to be possible. And the big problem with teaching primarily by lecture and rote memorization is it dramatically increases the chances of having children replying to questions en masse and speaking in unison, which is terrifying. It creeps me the hell out. Don't encourage that sort of behavior by cutting education budgets. Haven't you ever seen a horror movie? That's how that shit starts. Look, there are a lot of great reasons why cutting education is a terrible idea. But on this, I'm largely a single-issue voter, and that issue is me not being murdered by psychic children. So if what you want is hordes of adorable moppets learning to speak in unison and thereby honing their telepathic powers and developing a hive mind, which they will use to murder you, then by all means, cut education spending. But for me... I'll be supporting increased budgets for writing and reading workshops for children because I have the good sense to be scared shitless of them. Anyway, let's talk about a comic book. Without any further ado, let's uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Devin Tuhey. My name is Jack Norris. I don't know where my wife is. Maybe Val will tell me as Hub provides the synopsis. Thanks, Devin. Defenders, number 48, June, 1977. Who remembers Scorpio? Part 1. Sinister Savior. Written by David Anthony Kraft. Drotted by Keith Giffen. Inkted by Dan Green. Lettered by Annette Kowecki. Colored by David Anthony Kraft. And edited by Archie Goodwin. Defensive lineup. Valkyrie. The Incredible Hulk, Nighthawk, Hellcat, Moon Knight, and Wonder Man's in a couple of panels, but he doesn't really do much. Previously in The Defenders. After Doctor Strange, The Red Guardian, and Luke Cage all quit The Defenders, billionaire-do-well-bird enthusiast Kyle Richmond, a.k.a. Nighthawk, assumed that as the only rich white dude left on the team, he must be the new team leader. The entitled avian enthusiast moved the gang's headquarters to an abandoned riding academy on Long Island, which he had previously purchased on a whim to hit on Valkyrie. 
But before our titular non-team had gotten the chance to unpack, they were attacked by a crimson-clad crumbum named Scorpio. Scorpio, aka Jake Fury, was the supervillainous brother of super spy Nick Fury. He had an obsession with astrology and a magic nonsense weapon called the Zodiac Key, which let him teleport, turn himself into water, and apparently do other ill-defined cosmic nonsense as well. The Vermilion villain stated that he was looking for Kyle Richmond. The defenders stated that they were going to beat Scorpio up. Then they proceeded to do just that. Hooray! Scorpio escaped, but did that supervillain thing where he threatened them as he ran away. Our heroes reacted differently to this partial victory. Kyle, Red Doonesbury in the bathtub. The Hulk stomped off for some alone time. Val decided to swing by the Sanctum Sanctimonious to pick up some of her things. And Hellcat stopped by the Avengers Mansion to visit her old pals there. When the cat-costumed crime fighter arrived, she found that they had fucked off to space or something, and left Wonder Man in charge. Hellcat and Wonder Man had a, quote, misunderstanding, unquote, trademark, and beat each other up, because of course they did. Meanwhile, Jack Norris, the estranged husband of Barbara Norris, whose body was now inhabited by the sorcerously created persona known as Valkyrie, was having a shitty time. Hooray! A little while ago, the matrimonially-minded Meathead had decided to try out being a spy. He did a bad job and got knocked out. Twice. Hooray! He was questioned by the head of S.H.I.E.L.D., the aforementioned Scorpio's brother, Nick Fury, who soon reached the accurate conclusion that Jack didn't know shit, and released the canubially confused creep to wander the streets and randomly shout, Where's my wife? at annoyed strangers. Then, a couple of days ago, Fury appeared to inexplicably change his mind about Jack's inherent worthlessness, and attempted to apprehend the belligerent blowhard. Startled and understandably unsettled by the idea that anyone would ever want to talk to him for any reason, Norris fled. Fury pursued and eventually managed to KO his quarry by shooting him in the head with a ray gun. Hooray! But before the monocular manhunter managed to take Jack's unconscious body into custody, he was interrupted by the arrival of Moon Knight. Hooray! Moon Knight, a vengeance-loving vigilante who likes the moon and wears a lot of silver, disapproved of the strong-arm tactics he saw Fury employing, so he beat up Nick and his pals and rescued Jack. Once Norris regained what meager senses were his to regain, he and his beak-howled benefactor headed to the Sanctum and sought out Valkyrie, so that Jack could rudely demand the Defender's assistance. Once the situation had been explained, the sorcerously Scandinavian swordslinger reluctantly agreed to aid her host body's estranged spouse. The motley trio of Jack, Val, and Moon Knight swung by the Avengers Mansion to see if Hellcat could entreat her avenging amigos to use their government contacts to see why Nick Fury, or anyone else for that matter, would want to talk to Jack Norris. Naturally, when they arrived, Val and Moon Knight had a misunderstanding, trademark, with Wonder Man, and the three heroes pummeled each other until Hellcat awoke from her post-misunderstanding, trademark, snooze, and told everyone to knock it off. No sooner had the quartet of costumed crime fighters ceased their scuffling than the Avengers received a FaceTime call on their big screen TV. It was none other than Nick Fury, requesting that if the Avengers ran into an asshole named Jack Norris, they inform him immediately, as it was a matter of national security. Gadzooks! Will our heroes betray Jack's confidence and hand him over to the feds? How is the sinister Scorpio biding his time while he plots his revenge on the Defenders? 
And given his love of lunar iconography and silver jewelry, is Moon Knight's secret identity the owner of an incense store in Santa Fe, New Mexico? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, yup, they don't even really have to think about it. Mostly he's listening to old records and drinking cans of Schlitz. And, sadly, no. Moon Knight's alter ego is Mark Spector, a former mercenary. And Jake Lockley, a streetwise cab driver. And Stephen Grant, a billionaire playboy. Ah, fuck it. Who knows? Maybe he is also New Mexico patchouli peddler Luna Moonglow. Why not? Scorpio is hanging out in his secret headquarters, day-drinking cans of Schlitz and moping about how first his plan to kidnap Kyle Richmond failed, and then his backup plan to nab Jack Norris fell through as well. Wait, what? Kyle and Jack? Is this dude trying to put together some kind of an entitled douche supergroup or something? Why not go grab Speedy and Beast Boy while you're at it? Were Hawkeye and Hank Pym busy when you decided to play Jeff Lynch and assemble this traveling Wilburys of unexamined privilege? Also, Scorpio was behind Nick Fury's attempted jackknapping? I thought he and Nick hated each other. Well, looks like they managed to patch things up, because it seems as though the Fury boys are roommates, and Nick is behaving in a surprisingly deferential manner to his evil brother. Huh. Nick apologizes for bungling the Jack Norris abduction, but says that he sent a message to the Avengers Mansion, and that the heroes there have already agreed to hand over the boundary-bereft belligerent spouse-seeker. Scorpio refuses to be placated. He goes on a weird long rant about how society is totally bogus, and nobody understands him, and the world is crappy, and also, he is 52 years old. Fair enough. Then he puts on an album by experimental composer Edgar Varese, cracks open another can of beer, and tells Nick to go pick up Jack from the Avengers Mansion and grab another case of beer while he's at it. Back at the mansion, Jack is being a sulky jerkwad. Shocking. He feels hurt and betrayed that the Defenders have chosen the side of the world's top law enforcement official over him, a braying jackass who has continually heaped scorn and contempt on them. Some people... Jack is especially vitriolic towards Valkyrie, the alleged object of his affection. Val tries to tell him to stop being a dick, but that's like telling an oyster to throw a javelin. Jack storms out of the mansion and truculently surrenders himself to Nick Fury's custody. When he notices that Fury is taking him to New Jersey rather than the S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters, Norris's demeanor shifts from regular belligerent to alarmed belligerent. Val and Hellcat hop on Val's flying horse, and head back to their new Long Island headquarters. Hellcat tries to keep the mood light, but Val is pretty bummed out. Maybe not as bummed out as she would be if Jack had stuck around, but still, she's a little down. Well, Valkyrie, I guess the good news is that if you miss Jack Norris, the Defenders do still have a spare self-pitying, boundary-ignoring blowhard to talk down to you and belittle you. Kyle Richmond greets the horsebound heroines as they land, and whines to them about how he was about to go on a date with some random lady with unfortunate taste in men when his evening was interrupted by a call from Scorpio, informing him that he was holding one Jack Norris for ransom. Kyle tells the ladies that they were stupid for handing over Jack, then tells them that in the morning he's going to go to the bank, get out $500,000, and hand it over to a supervillain in the hopes that he will get Jack Norris back. 
He asked if it was okay if Nighthawk made the delivery instead of Kyle. Wow, Kyle. That is some pretty shrewd negotiation. So, for the low price of half a million dollars, you can get the guy that a few months ago you paid $300,000 to go away. But look, on the plus side, you did get the villain to agree that you can wear a bird suit when you make the drop. Great job, you captain of industry, you. Plus, who knew that the Jack Norris market was so volatile? See, that's why I usually go for more traditional blue-chip, borderline abuse of estranged spouses. You might not get the same big payday, but the market fluctuates less, so it's a lower risk. Back at Scorpio's secret New Jersey lair, the astrological archfiend greets Jack Norris warmly and offers him a can of beer. Jack declines the beer and whines obnoxiously about how nothing ever goes his way and nobody ever listens to him. Scorpio is like, Hey! I like to whine obnoxiously about how no one listens to me and nothing ever goes my way. Let's be pals. Jack petulantly sulks. Scorpio is like, petulantly sulking, huh? Nice. Then he launches into a long, rambly diatribe about how consumer culture is bad and also the government is bad and the system is rigged against free-thinking individuals who just want to be self-sufficient and maybe start their own businesses. And if you think about it, Disillusioned middle-aged white men are the real victims in society. Also, he built a giant machine called the Zodiac Chamber, which will give life to 12 new beings, each of whom will obey his every command. Man, surprised he has space for that giant machine. What, with all of the fedoras and collectible swords he must have, given the first part of his speech? He also mentions again that he is 52 years old. I gotta say, when the number 52 is mentioned this many times in a comic book... It makes me kind of nervous that they're going to kill Blue Beetle or something. Perhaps surprisingly, Jack is unswayed by Scorpio's deranged manifesto. Meanwhile, on the outside of the building, Moon Knight silently lands on the roof. Something seemed off to him about Nick Fury's behavior, so he decided to follow the strangely subservient super spy. The lunar vigilante begins to investigate the rooftop when he suddenly falls through it and finds himself sliding through a tube into a huge empty vat. Inside the base, an alarm goes off, and Scorpio stops explaining why Lyndon LaRouche is a totally viable candidate and heads off to examine who has just fallen into his trap. When he finds Moon Knight, he is surprised, but impressed. The ivory-cloaked invader makes a quip about not liking the accommodations, and Scorpio is delighted and tosses him a beer. Say what you will about Scorpio, but he takes hospitality pretty seriously. Then he apologizes for the fact that he's about to seal the lid of the vat and fill it with water to drown Moon Knight. Okay, so he's not a perfect host. As Jack protests the execution, Moon Knight wordlessly cracks his can of beer open as the top of the vat slides into place and the water rises around him. Scorpio tells a horrified Jack Norris that modern times are shitty and that Billie Holiday and Judy Garland were neat. Then he goes to bed. The next morning, the murderous music lover awakes, only to find that as far as last evening was concerned, he was actually only an attemptedly murderous music lover, because Moon Knight somehow managed to escape. Hooray! Meanwhile, on Long Island, Kyle Richmond starts his day. He gets dressed, then goes into Val and Hellcat's respective rooms, and watches them sleep for a minute like he's fucking Edward from Twilight, only even creepier. Gross. Then he gets the $500,000 ransom money and changes into his fancy bird suit to make the exchange. 
The transaction is apparently scheduled to take place atop a weird obelisk in High Point, New Jersey. Scorpio greets the affluent avian aficionado, and Nighthawk responds by yelling angrily and throwing the money at him. Well, I guess to be fair, Kyle has a lot of experience throwing money at problems. Scorpio is like, Hey Kyle, stop being such an asshole. Kyle responds, Stopping being an asshole isn't really my thing. Hey, wait a minute, how did you know I was Kyle? I, I mean, I I'm not Kyle. Scorpio replies, Oh, that was even supposed to be a secret? I figured that out in like two seconds. What are you, a teen titan? Then he shoots the not-so-incognito aviator with a Zodiac key and teleports them both back to his secret lair. Oh no! You guys, that means that Scorpio, Kyle, and Jack Norris are all going to be in the same room together. I'm genuinely concerned that they're going to form a men's rights activist group. To be continued. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I am doing well for the most part. Maybe a little on the congested side due to the beautiful weather and mm. the subsequent allergens. I'm sorry to hear that. That's okay. I'll be fine. You're very brave. Thank you. You're welcome. So, what did you think of this comic? Wow. Lots of words. So many. There were a lot of pictures. Some of them were not as well executed as I'm used to. Yeah. We had a different inker in this issue. It was Dan Green instead of Klaus Jansen. And it was, I think it's safe to say, a step down. Honestly, I'm of the opinion just about anyone other than Klaus Jansen would be a step down. But Dan Green seems to be a couple steps down. I'm not familiar with a lot of his work. I know it has showed up before. I sometimes mix him up with Bob Brown because they both have colors for names. Green and Brown. Yeah, well noted. Thank you. Um, <laughs> See, I listen. Yeah. Yeah, this strikes me as somebody who is going for the stylized nature of a Jack Kirby, but without the underlying draftsmanship, and it doesn't really work. Mm. It also kind of lets you know a little bit more what the art division is in terms of it seems like Keith Giffen is mostly just doing the layouts or there wouldn't be this drastic a change with a, a change of inker. Mm -hmm. We also have a different colorist in this issue. It's the writer, David Kraft, who I didn't know did colors. Oh. He did a fine job. Nothing particularly stood out to me except for a couple of very specific choices that he made. And maybe it's too early to get into it, but was one of them the specific choice of making Scorpio's face orange from the nose down? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he gave him a tan line on his face from where the mask is normally. And I thought that was a really fun, interesting little touch. I was trying to figure out where he was going with that. I'm pretty sure. It took me a while to figure it out, too. But I'm like, yeah, I guess maybe he would. I wonder if other superheroes have that. I bet that gives them away, especially in the summertime. You'd think so. Like, you get a reverse domino mask tan. Right. I mean, with a domino mask, you could probably play it off like you were in the tanning booth and you had those weird little thingies over your eyes. Do they have tanning booths in the 70s? They must have. Sure seems like It seems like, like it. a 70s thing. Yeah. But, yeah, if you have any kind of a stylized mask, it's going to be pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of exposition from Scorpio in this issue, and... I gotta say, I love Scorpio. Not as a dude, he seems like a real piece of shit, but as a villain, he makes a great villain. He does. He 
lacks some of the confidence that I would like to see in somebody whose machinations are so potentially gnarly. Mm -hmm. Primarily his extreme focus on his age. (laughs) He's really freaked out by middle age. Well, I have some thoughts about that, actually. So I think that David Anthony Kraft is pulling a reverse Haney here. Ooh. Like, Haney was a middle-aged dude who was writing dialogue for teenagers Mm -hmm. and going out of his way to be like, wow, how do teenagers talk? Oh, yeah, they they use all this slang, Mm -hmm. a lot of which I'm just going to make up. Mm -hmm. But that's how you know they're teenagers. David Anthony Kraft is in his early 20s at this point, and he's writing a middle-aged man's dialogue. And so it's like, all right, what what are middle-aged people like? Um, They're just going to say their age a bunch. And they like Judy Garland and Billie Holiday and Edgar Verizzi and... Um, Schlitz. And Schlitz. That's what old people like. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of part of what's happening here. Kraft also had an assist on this. It's credited at the very end hmm. that uh, Don McGregor helped write this issue. Last minute script assist from Don McGregor. And a lot of Scorpio's dialogue strikes me as very... Don McGregor-esque, just in terms of the pontificating and the kind of, I don't know, flowery, prosaic speech. Mm -hmm. There's another thing that I think might be happening here, which I might be reading too much into it, but that's kind of what I do. So about a year ago from when this was published, Lisa and I covered this issue on the What the Duck podcast, but Howard the Duck number two came out, and there was a character in it that Steve Gerber wrote that was a fairly, to my thinking, mean-spirited parody of Don McGregor. I'm wondering if Scorpio is being written as a parody of Steve Gerber. Oh, shit. Because a lot of the, like, tones that he's hitting in terms of the importance of the individual over the collective and lashing out against society and wavering self-confidence but still being self-aggrandizing are like super Gerber tropes. Mm. And so I'm wondering if maybe Gerber is like a big fan of Billie Holiday and Edgar Varese. Oh. Um, and Nietzsche. You also see that he's got a Nietzsche book. And it's like, I don't know. I'm Like I said, I might be reading too much into it, but it at least made me wonder. Even if that isn't what's happening, one of the things that I like about Scorpio is that he, I think, makes kind of a nice counterbalance to the Red Rajas ethos, which was kind of a parody of espousing the virtues of collectivism and having that be the villainous focus. And Scorpio instead seems to be kind of a parody of espousing the virtues of libertarianism. So I like having that balance in the bad guys. You know... Not always a fan of both siderism, but I think balancing out the Red Raja basically being a mouthpiece for Neil Peart's straw man. I think balancing that out in a way is kind of a good move. This predates the John Carpenter movie They Live, right? That yes. was the 80s yes. movie. There's a panel where he's starting his diatribe on page two. And it's funny because I felt like it went from this anti-consumer, like, they live type of messaging straight into the Fountainhead. Oh, totally. It is straight up objectivism at some point. And I was actually wondering about some of the language. Yeah, because I'm not as familiar with objectivism and, and Ayn Randian philosophy as I could be. But I know that when he used the word users, yeah, that's a good word. I was like, wait, is that one of, like, the 
the phrases that she uses a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it totally seems like like straight out of Anne Rand. But also very inconsistent. And I don't know, man. I like the idea of kind of a sad sack, self-pitying villain. I think it's kind of a neat touch and also makes me realize that, I don't know, when he's talking about how much he has in common with Jack Norris, I kept finding myself nodding and being like, yeah, yeah, you guys are a lot alike. Man, if Jack Norris was a supervillain and it was clear that I was supposed to hate him for the dumb shit he's saying, I would like that character a lot more. Yeah, that's I, well, that's the frustration with Jack Norris, right? Like, he's supposed to be this everyman, mm-hmm. like, like, well, yeah, I mean, if you're a guy and you were married to a Valkyrie-type wife, wouldn't you feel this way? Like, yeah, no, he's supposed and... to be a stand-in for the audience. He's like, oh, he's a non-powered guy amongst these super-powered individuals. This is you, reader. I know, and then, then that's why you're like, hey, fuck you. Yeah, you that's not me. Yeah. That guy's an asshole. But if he is, like, the foil to the heroes, I think it's a really interesting character. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going on with Nick Fury? That was so confusing to me. Mm-hmm. Because I'm only just marginally familiar with Nick Fury. But I would think his old-timey, do-gooder type shtick doesn't at all jive no. with what he does in this issue. No, and there's a couple of hints that that might not be Nick Fury. Like, early on, he says, Just remember, the day ain't over, Jake. We'll get him yet. Or I ain't Nick Fury, agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And Scorpio's response is, When you put it that way, am I supposed to feel reassured? We also have him constantly saying that, like, Oh, he doesn't have any feelings. Don't worry about him. So, think seems... he's a robot man? I think he might be a robot man. Ah, that explains the beer run. Because I thought to myself, Nick Fury wouldn't just go on a beer run for Scorpio in the middle of escorting a prisoner to a government facility. That seems very out of character and irresponsible. It is so jarring to see beer consumption in one of these comics. Gratuitous. Yeah, absolutely. There are several beers opened and Uh spilled (laughs) and spoken about at length, whether drink it fast, it's going to be nothing worse than a warm, flat beer. It was to the point where I kept wondering, is this a plot? Point? I mean, I think it might be to an extent, but like, it's not part of his scheme. It's not part of his evil scheme. They're not poisoned. They're not mind control beers. It's just it's like, oh, go get some Schlitz because we're running low. I feel like every couple pages, something beer related happens. Oh, totally. Like Scorpio, I think he's been drinking a lot. Mm. Yeah, to help. Just to help. I mean, we get the impression from some of the things that he says that he is like, super lonely and kind of not dealing with it great i mean he's a real triple s sad sack supervillain. Mm-hmm. one of the ways he demonstrates what a sad sack he is is that he talks about how he was dealt a shitty hand with his lame superpowers so his superpowers are with the zodiac key he can teleport anywhere as long as it is not through metal he can turn into water and he can fire weird cosmic nonsense bolts. Those seem like pretty good powers. I mean, they're no the strength of two strong men at night sometimes. Mm -hmm. But still, pretty good. Yeah, I was annoyed by his whining about his his powers. I was too, but I think it rang true. Mm -hmm. Like, that this is the kind of guy who's going to hatch a fucking villainous scheme. Oh, sure. 
it did feel weird to see him confronting Nighthawk after him bemoaning how lame his powers were. Because it really did bring into relief how easily he takes out Nighthawk at the end. Mm-hmm. It was just like, oh man, that's right. Nighthawk sucks. He's not that powerful. No, and he's just not competent either. Well, okay, not to like be a Nighthawk defender, but mm. I was thinking, so the way he gets around in the air is via jetpack. Right. And... You know, as I understand it, jetpack technology isn't really that far along in our day and age, in the 21st century. Yeah. it was. They were probably really hard to fly back in the 70s. Yeah, probably difficult to steer. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll grant you that. But then don't use a jetpack. Also, I think he's maybe also day drinking a little bit. <laughs> he's so wealthy, he just sort of... Yeah, the very wealthy are always day drinking. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I gotta go to the bank and get this... Half a million dollars or whatever it was. A couple of highballs ought to make that go down a little easier. Yep. Yeah, I've barely finished my Bloody Marys for breakfast. Right? Yeah. He looks like it, too. He's also a fucking creepo in this, and you see that he watches Hellcat and Valkyrie sleep, and, like, specifically is like, Hellcat, hmm. Yeah. Like, looking at her sleep. Fuck you, dude. Yeah, I didn't care for that. The way that it was editorialized was they... They use much more flowery language, but yeah, essentially he that, like walks in there and he's like, swing, but maybe later. Yeah. It's like, oh, fuck you, dude. Gross. Yeah, because his date got interrupted last night by him finding out that he has to pay money to get Jack Norris back. I did like how annoyed he was at having to deal with Jack Norris. And like, even when he's showing up to pay the ransom, he's like, I don't particularly want this guy. I just paid almost this much money to get rid of him before. Now paying to get it back? Ironic. Yeah. There was a funny thing in there that I did feel was perhaps inconsistent with him being a billionaire playboy, and that's that one of the points he makes was being upset about his date being interrupted was he had just finished putting on his wind jammer cologne. Yeah. And I looked it up, and that's an Avon product, and as far as I understand things, Avon is not a rich person's (laughs) brand. That is one of the conundrums about Kyle. He is presented as A, being a billionaire, and he certainly has the entitlement that goes along with that. But he's mostly shown as like a weird like populist character, where he's just like straight talking, straight shooting, everyday Joe, almost supposed to be as much of a proxy for us, I think, as Jack Norris is. But he's a billionaire and was born wealthy and raised in boarding schools. Mm -hmm. It never comes across that way in the way that he's written, just that he throws money around like that. Right. I did like also that he was consistently bad at maintaining his secret identity. That Scorpio, who didn't know what he was before, after one phone call, he's like, yeah, no, I'm not dumb. Of course you're Kyle Richmond. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Stupid fucking Kyle. Yeah, Kyle was really befuddled by that as well. <laughs> How did... What? <laughs> what? It's weird, too, that, like, I mean, Moon Knight has almost exactly the same powers or lack thereof as nighthawk but he's so good at his job he's good at his job and like it's the same thing where it's like he is stronger at nighttime but doesn't have like any real superpowers and he's a rich dude Mm -hmm. and he has a billowing cape they're both kind of knockoffs of batman Mm -hmm. but he is so effective and also just respected by everyone and uh kyle's kyle yeah Moon Knight. First of all, he opens a beer with style. Yeah. And class. Every, like, Scorpio can't get over how classy Moon Knight is. Mm-hmm. And funny. Yeah, I think he's got a little 
He's got a little crush. Yeah. How do you think he escaped from that death trap? I actually remember how he escaped from it from the first time I read this, so I oh don't I'm tell gonna me bow my, I'm gonna bow out of this because it wouldn't just be speculation. I remember almost nothing from these comics, but I do remember that because it stood out to me. That was a really maybe we'll get into this in panels, but it was drawn in a, a very interesting way where the normal comic stuff is going on with the action, mm-hmm. but the trap itself, which is basically a giant hole, it's drawn as a blueprint. Yeah. I thought that was really cool, actually. It was one of the few examples in this where I really liked the artwork and thought that that was an interesting storytelling choice and also was kind of necessary Mm -hmm. because it was tough to get just from the dialogue how that device was supposed to work or what exactly it was. Also, it did seem weird that, like, the big security measure is kind of like an old-timey tiger trap. Oh, yeah, part of my roof is just a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. So if you stand on it, you fall in. <sighs> yeah, yeah, needlessly complicated. Like, how many gallons of water would it take to fill that thing? Far more than you need to drown a, a moon knight. Yeah, and also, like, if it rains, your whole security measure is gone. Because that paper's just going to get all damp. And also, once you close the lid, you can't open it until it's ready to open. And I'm pretty sure it doesn't take 24 hours to drown I wouldn't think a person. so. Although, the extent to which he explained what was happening to Moon Knight, I think it's because he was so charmed by him. And also because he's a supervillain. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are somewhat prone to exposition. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I thought that was a pretty fun scene. Pretty good. And I liked that Jack Norris is just like, I'm not going to drink your stinking beer. And Moon Knight quips a little bit. And he's like, oh, huh, you're funnier. Here. I have a beer. It's the least I can do. I'm so sorry that it's warm. Uh, gonna kill you now. Mm-hmm. And Moon Knight's like, thanks for the beer. Yep. Ka-chunk. Yep. Pretty smooth. I was thinking about Kyle. I think it's pretty funny that his kryptonite is like, oh no, my one weakness. A third dude. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, Kyle. Not effective. There were a couple of weird references in this that I had to look up. There was one reference to Congressman Hayes, where Jack refers to Nick Fury as probably another Congressman Hayes. Were you familiar with that? I just assumed it was a Marvel thing that I didn't know about or I had forgotten about. Or was it an actual thing? I think it might be both, because it's spelled differently than the Congressman Hayes who had a big scandal in 76. Hmm. Because in this issue, it's spelled with an E. That might have just been a typo. But uh, there was a congressman, I forget the first name, but he was Hayes, and he was a big old hypocrite, and was real, like, kind of fire and brimstone dude. And it was revealed that, okay, one, he had recently left his wife of 38 years for his secretary, which everybody was fine with, but he was also, at the time, starting to have an affair with his other secretary, who he had hired with government funds despite the fact that she didn't know how to secretary at all. And she went to the press, and there was a big to-do, and he had to step down. Oh. Because it was a misappropriation of funds. And also, there was a time when we held our politicians to some kind of standards. And it's weird to think that in the 70s, yeah, <laughs> like those standards were potentially <laughs> more rigorous. But I do think it's funny that Jack is like, that's probably what Nick Fury's up to. There's no evidence of... Any kind of that behavior on Nick Fury's part, at least not in this issue, and certainly not from Norris's interactions with Nick Fury. But it kind of makes sense when you realize how much of that might just be sour grapes on Jack Norris's part, because he reveals in this issue that 
not only does he still believe that Valkyrie is his wife, but that she is the only woman he has ever been with. Yeah, I read that a couple times, and I was like, so does does that mean that she's the only person he's had sex with, or does it mean that she's the only person that he's really felt close to? The phrase he uses is been intimate with. Right. I mean, that's pretty standard fancy talk for doing it. Right, I just, you know, again, it was the 70s, and people were doing it without being intimate. Were they? Like, Can you even do that? I definitely got the impression that Barbara Norris is the only woman that Jack has ever had sex with. Because I don't think he's capable of actual intimacy. So I'm assuming Unless that he's got a mirror. it was a... He's just like, he just stares into that mirror. He's like, only you. I don't think so. I mean, uh, understand me. I don't think that Jack likes himself. I don't know that self-love and self narcissism are certainly mutually exclusive things. No, no, I don't either, but... I also don't think that he thinks he understands himself or thinks that he is a good person who is worthy of love. He no. just thinks that he should have it because it's his because you're my wife. And he doubles down on the you're my wife bullshit in this issue. His interaction with Val was harsh. I wanted her to hit him so bad. Yeah, I was impressed by her wherewithal to not like stab him or something. Yeah, but at the same time, I also would have been impressed if she had stabbed him. Yeah, I was like, bring back the Val from the old cliffside breakup chat. Yeah, man, toss him off a fucking cliff. Mm -hmm. Wait, she didn't do that. She rescued him when he fell off the cliff. Yeah, but but she, she was also this far like, away. Yeah, and I think she had threatened to kill him a few times at that point. Yeah, I kind of felt that too. Let's take a look at his dialogue because it's shitty. I mean, granted, he's not happy about being turned over to Nick Fury, but. It's not enough that my wife's body has been possessed by some cold-shouldered superwoman with a sword fetish. Now I find out that I can't even expect a cursory shred of loyalty or compassion to remain at all. That is not fair, Jack. You make it sound as if my persona inhabits the body of Barbara Norris intentionally. Well, pardon me if my feelings are showing Valkyrie, but that's the price of betrayal. This exchange of hostilities is unnecessary. I, too, have feelings. You keep telling yourself that, lady, and maybe someday you'll believe it. Yeah, the way he handles that entire exchange is very frustrating to listen to. It is garbage. I did enjoy the friendship that Hellcat offers Valkyrie when they are riding home, and Hellcat's just trying to distract her at first, like, saying, like, how neat it is to ride a horse that's flying and stuff, and making a reference to the mobile Pegasus ads of yesterday. And Val's like, Hellcat, I have no idea what you're talking about. And Hellcat starts to explain herself. And Val's like, Hellcat, I really do not wish to know. But then Hellcat says, Val, I just want to say, I know what you're going through. And you see that she has tears in her eyes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's, that's sweet. It's a nice moment, and I like the forming of the friendship between these two. Mm -hmm. I also really like Val's thoughts when the wind at Valkyrie's face awakens her senses. She recalls the tone of Jack Norris's voice. Hurt. Disillusioned. Betrayed. And immature. Yeah, fucking underline that last one, Val. Yep. Yeah, good on her for analyzing the situation and, you know... It's natural, I think, even if somebody is being a total fucking bozo, that it hurts your feelings. Oh, no. People hurt my feelings all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't care for it. But, like, people that I don't like or respect. 
Like, and even if they're being immature, yeah, it's no. still hard to sit back and just be like, oh man, why did that rub me the wrong way so much? Yeah. If I find out somebody that I don't like said something mean about me, I'm like, well, why? I have very good reasons for not liking them. Mm-hmm. Why don't they like me? It's <laughs> uh, a real have your cake and eat it situation. Yeah. Watch out for the angry mob. Okay. That was a bad metaphor. No, no, I understand. The Jacobins are coming. They're going to cut my head off mm-hmm. because I'm sitting here asking why they don't have cake when they're hungry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, cake's good, but I understand. They, they can't afford it. If they need to chop my head off, they can chop my head off. I, I get it. Oh, good. That's a, that's a level of emotional maturity that I don't expect we'll ever see from Jack Norris. No, nor the French aristocracy in the late 1700s. Well, that ship has sailed. Amen. I feel like there was a lot of timestampy things in this. There were a lot of timestamp things in this. One of them that led to a pretty weird YouTube video was the Vic Tanner gym. Mm-hmm. And so apparently that was a big thing in the 70s that um, if you want to see some some retro ads on YouTube, you can find them. People working out in old-timey. Yeah, Moon Knight references when he's stuck in the uh, the water silo trap thing. Flood hole. Yeah, when he's stuck in the flood hole. Oubliette? Is it an oubliette? Jesus, I don't know. What's that? Is that I don't a, know. A French it's a French thing. hole. <laughs> oubliette? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, th- I feel like it's a torture dungeon, but it might be something else. Oh. It's a fun word, though. Mm-hmm. Oubliette. Oubliette. Nah, it's, it's no sphygmomanometer, but it'll do. That's a good word. Isn't it? Oubliette. There we go. But yeah, when uh, Moon Knight's stuck in the K-hole. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Got into Aragorn's leftovers again. <laughs> yep. He uh, says, mind if I change to a different room? This one reminds me of working out in one of Vic Tannery's gyms. And yeah, I I had to look into it too. And apparently he was the first guy to kind of have these chain of gyms going. And they, I think, had gone out of business at this point. But it was still kind of a cultural reference that people would understand. People would mock the idea of gym culture for the things that he was uh, espousing and like he had a set of dumbbells that was painted gold and stuff and they would often have like movie theater, movie theaters and bowling alleys in his gyms and stuff which did confuse me a little bit because it didn't look like that was a particularly lavish surrounding that Moon Knight found himself in maybe Scorpio didn't get the reference but didn't want to admit that in front of his cool new friend and so that was why he told Moon Knight he was so clever Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah, I didn't get it either. Me either. Oh. But I did think Moon Knight was clever. Yeah, I thought he played it cool. Mm-hmm. As a cucumber. Cool as a cucumber and got out. Yep. Do you have a guess as to how he got out? The only thing I could think of was, um, you remember that movie Strange Brew? Yeah. When they get stuck in the thing and he just drinks all the beer. So you think he just drank all the water? Maybe. Hmm. Interesting. But you would have to pee so much and it would probably be hard to, I don't know, escape through a duct or something if you had to pee that bad i would imagine so so that's probably not no because otherwise he would have just refilled the silo and then drowned in his own pee instead of the water and that'd be worse yeah objectively worse (laughs) yeah well are you ready to get into the minutia sure rick would you mind singing us in we got minutia it's not the biggest part it's just minutia like Corey eating farts we got minutia time to sweat the small stuff 
Hi guys, this is Future Hub doing the editing. So, well, the Minutia song was playing, Corey and I started goofing around and we ended up talking about uh, the composer Edgar Varese a bunch. Normally I cut this stuff out, but I thought it was kind of interesting. So I decided to leave it in and if you don't like it, then I don't know, you can just skip over it or something. All right. Anyway, back to the nonsense. Me and Corey from the past. Oh my goodness. No more listening to Mr. Weirdo Composer Man for you. Yeah. That guy's kind of neat. Did you read about him at all? I didn't. I just listened to two of his songs. One at home and then the one that you played while we were finishing our notes Mm -hmm. up. And that one I did not care for. It wasn't easy to listen to necessarily, but I did think it was pretty interesting. And especially for when it was coming out. Like, he died in 1965, so this was some old shit. And, like, he was one of the first people to incorporate electronic music into his stuff and frank zappa was a huge fan and like for one of his birthday presents his mom arranged for a phone call with the dude and the dude wasn't home so he ended up talking to the dude's wife and then later he ended up talking to him on the phone one time and he wrote a fan letter to the dude and the dude wrote back to him and he kept that letter and had it framed and uh had it with him all the time that's pretty cool yeah so i thought that was neat that is neat I still do not care for the cacophonous collection of noises and things. No, but I honestly thought it made sense to have that as the soundtrack when Scorpio was talking. Oh, yeah. Because, like, part of what I think made Scorpio work as a bad guy was there was an unpredictableness about him that is brought on by his, like, obvious desperation and loneliness that was genuinely unsettling yeah like he really wanted to just like hang out and have a sleepover with his buddies Uh uh-huh but also like showed no compunction whatsoever about killing them Mm -hmm. and yeah it's just like oh crazy in the coconut Mm -hmm. thanks rick Corey, what words in this issue did you like not unlike you would like a pie were it not made out of steel I had a couple options. So we've touched on a lot of the beer chatter. There was a, a little bit of phrasing where Scorpio is going off. And uh, yeah, it also touches on the fact that he's bummed out about his superpowers, which are, I think, actually pretty good. I think they're pretty dope. But I, I like the way in which he whines about it. And so here's what he says. Some people don't do anything with their lives. They cry in their beer over their misfortune and handicaps. I've had my own handicaps in the superpower sweepstakes. But look, Jack. Look what I have. And then he shows him his Shows machine. him his weird, like, Kirby machine that is the Zodiac engine or whatever. Mm-hmm. And what I liked about that was the phrase superpower sweepstakes, mm-hmm. uh, which actually sounds pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Just the fact, man, that you got to enter those sweepstakes and you've got some superpowers, like, you shouldn't be whining. Yeah. But um, I like that he called back to all the beer that they're drinking with the cry in the beer thing mm-hmm. and then used, used that phrase. That's, however, not my winner. What was your winner? So in going with the idea of like, you know, kind of extending a metaphor throughout several bits of dialogue, there's talk of Moon Knight being a, a wraith, but a ghosty wraith. Mm-hmm. Outside, the moonlight washes down over a figure that is much like a ghost, a wraith called Moon Knight. The ghost seeks entrance in his inimitable fashion and wonders that there are no guards or alarms. Blah, blah, blah. He descends. Yeah, actually, scratch all that. I'll just, I like this part. 
and the floor abruptly buckles beneath the weight of this tangible ghost. Mm. And so I like the phrase tangible ghost. It's easy to say. <laughs> and it's a good metaphor Very for nice. the Moon Knight. I like that as well. My favorite dialogue, there's a couple. We already talked about Val calling Jack Norris immature, which I think everybody should do that all the time. Accurate. Always think it should be rewarded. I also really liked on the same page, and I think this is probably my favorite, the Hulk slap bubbles. Oh, the Hulk is so good for the two panels he's in. Three, Corey. Oh, I'm sorry, Hulk. Hulk is tired. Tired of always fighting. Tired of puny humans. Hulk is even tired of friends. Every day is the same. Hulk hit. Hulk smash. Hulk does nothing else. Hulk is bored with hitting and smashing. Hulk will sleep. Do something else tomorrow. Something fun. Treat yourself, Hulk. <laughs> Treat yourself. Mm. I yeah, love. I just I love, love it. It's like, yeah, we're gonna do something different tomorrow. Something, something fun. But first, I'm gonna go get a good night's sleep. Uh huh. Oh, he's so wise. He really is. The other dialogue that I really liked, we've also discussed it, but is actually from Kyle Richmond saying, "Not exactly anxious to see Jack Norris again, Scorpio." while back, we paid him to disappear, and now we're paying to get him back? Some days, nothing goes right. So, much as I hate to ask, where is he? Pretty good. I also like that technique if you're dealing with a hostage situation. Like, yeah, maybe try to barter a little bit. You're like, I don't really care if we get him back. I don't like the guy. Maybe Kyle's trying to knock a couple hundo thou off there. Mm, it's not going to work. job. Oh, yeah, Kyle. no, he does a terrible job at pretty much everything, but... I do like that he hates Jack Norris. I think there's probably a still like a unresolved rivalry because Kyle like was totally into Val for a little while mm -hmm. and like stormed off like an asshole when he found out that she was married. Mm -hmm. But I think mostly it's, we talked about this last week, I think it's a narcissism of small differences thing where they're so similar that any differences that there are between them get exacerbated and he really hates him because... He recognizes himself in them. Yeah. There's a lot of Jack Norris and Kyle. Ooh, and one time there was actually literally a lot of Jack Norris and Kyle. Not in that way, Corey. Stop the brain, being the brain, the brain. But yeah, his brain. I was not making any gestures, you guys. Oh, uh, Corey, Corey was doing this thing where he was making an <laughs> elaborate pantomime of sexual intercourse. That is not accurate. <laughs> no, it was not accurate. As I said, it was a gross pantomime. What was your favorite sound effect? Oh, I only had one. Okay, what was it? I had on page 30 the sound that it makes when um, half a million dollars smacks into a bad guy, thrown real fast, and that noise is wah-cart. Mm-hmm. I was pronouncing it wah-cart, but uh, I think that might be because I was imagining the uh, vehicle that Waluigi might drive in Mario Kart. I know what you're talking about, and... That was not what I was imagining. <laughs> <laughs> Wah, card! I hate playing that game with you. You're better at it, and you're mean about it. How am I mean about You'll it? You'll just keep smashing everything. Yeah, every day is the same. Hub smash, hub smash. Maybe tomorrow Hub will do something fun. Yeah, go to sleep. Yeah. Wake up, do something fun. Like, let your brother win that <laughs> Mario Kart for once. That doesn't sound that fun. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I will do something different tomorrow. I'm going to New York. Congratulations. Yeah. The Windy Apple. The Emerald Easy. 
the apple with broad shoulders. The city of apples? <laughs> yep, that would be fun. Yeah, I had the same sound effect. Oh. There just weren't that many. I think there were three total in the issue. Most of them were pretty standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a scree of an alarm going off, and we had a shred of Moon Knight falling through the paper mache ceiling. Yeah, no, Wario Kart is definitely a... Well, Waluigi Kart. Oh, my bad. It's okay, I forgive you. In this issue, who just had to be a sucker? Who had to act in a manner inconsistent with their previous characterization in a way that furthered the plot? In the immortal words of the Fat Boys in Crush Groove, who just had to be a sucker? Well, the Robot Man theory throws some water on this, but my notes... Oh, don't throw water on a robot, man! My notes say, why, Nick Fury, why? (laughs) I think that's fair. If that is Nick Fury, he is acting like a total sucker. Yep. Just kowtowing to his younger brother? No, probably older brother, because he's evil. We've been over this before. (laughs) You're right. You're right. I'm sorry, Corey. You're right. Older brothers are always the evil ones. Yeah. Yeah, he's being a real chump. Mm Mm-hmm. So I I hear you. What was your vote? I voted for Hellcat. Hmm. Because when she is trying to comfort Val, she says, it's fun riding this flying horse, but I wish it had seatbelts. That's not the same person who was like using her claws to make him go faster and saying giddy up couple issues ago she's a freewheeling freebooter and she likes to watch free jack and uh with freewheeling franklin oh and fat freddy <laughs> yeah and fat freddy's cat uh-huh and what was uh what was the adjective for phineas uh Did i don't he think he had one? one he was just oh, phineas that's sad maybe probably yeah yeah but uh fabulous furry freak brothers aside that seemed out of character for Hellcat, who is normally uh, more of a swashbuckling thrill seeker and probably wouldn't wear a seatbelt on a horse. No, I think she was just nervously trying to make Val feel better with, uh, you know. I get that. Nervous joking. Well, talk. of course, my uncle would tell you, you know, these horses shouldn't even have seatbelts. They just uh, encourage you to fly around like a goddamn maniac. Yeah, I don't think you need to put a seatbelt on a Pegasus in the great state of New Hampshire. Yeah, you don't even need to wear a helmet when you ride your Pegasus in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Live free or die. Or, you know, yeah. ideally both. Yeah. Sartorially speaking, what fashion did you feel was worthy of highlight? Page 11, where did Kyle get that robe? It's a great robe. I think he got it from his fellow plutocrat, Mr. Jupiter. It's a different color pattern. But he is wearing a very nice looking, I'm just going to call it a rich man robe from now on. It is a short satin robe that is orange with green trim and uh, looks really nice. Looks pretty cool. That was the main one that I had as well. Although I did want to point out, I mentioned that David Kraft made some interesting choices as both colorist and writer for this issue. And one of them was... It really looks like Jack Norris is not wearing a shirt under his trench coat. Oh, Jack. And I think that's an interesting fashion choice. When he goes with Nick Fury, Nick Fury does make him put one on. But in the panels where they're hanging out in the Avengers Mansion, I think it is just a coloration choice because it does kind of look like there's a shirt, but it is colored the same color as Jack Norris's skin. So either he is not wearing a shirt or he is wearing like a figure skater's shirt that is the same color as his skin. Mm. So... Either way, weird decision-making on Mr. Norris's part. I do like his trench coat. It's got a, like a Harrison Ford and Blade Runner giant collar. Mm-hmm. Kinda. 
style. Popped collar trench coat. Mm-hmm. Pretty good look. To the extent that something can look good when it's not inked by Klaus Janssen. This fashion segment brought to you by Tillamardu. It's good! Cheers. That's the kind of high-quality advertising you can get if you decide to hire us as the spokespeople for your whiskey products. Yep. Corey? Yep. What was your favorite panel? This was a a little bit of a toss-up. I liked on page 6, Wonder Man looking (laughs) worried about the absolute destruction and havoc that he's wrought on HQ, where that place is fucking destroyed. And they're like, what's wrong, Wonder Man? And he's got his hand on his chin. He's like, I'm kind of worried. Yeah. Well, Moon Knight, I'm a little worried about what the Avengers are going to say when they see all this damage. (laughs) Yeah. That place is house. It is in such bad, bad shape. It is wrecked. It is like there was a John Hughes party there the night before. And that is one of the best, I feel like, uh, illustrated panels in terms of detail and like lots going on in the background and foreground. Really, most of the background and foreground stuff is done pretty well. The real issues I have with the artwork in this is people's faces look weird. Mm-hmm. And I'm fine with a certain amount of stylization in people's appearances. And this seems as though it is done in a almost homage to Jack Kirby, but it doesn't have his underlying Kirbiness. Like, he, he's a genius. He understands the rules. And when he breaks them, it works. This... Like, the panel right after that is a close-up of Jack Norris's face, and it just looks bad. That being said, there were certainly panels that I enjoyed. One of them I call Silhouette Scorpio, and it is Nick Fury and Jack Norris are being brought in front of Scorpio, and it is his silhouette as he stands in front of this, I'm gonna guess some kind of extra-dimensional portal or something. It it looks like a flat-screen lava lamp. Yep. But it's just a cool-looking panel. The other one that I liked a great deal is on page 27. And the panel itself isn't great, but I like that it is a callback to a kind of running joke that has been going through the past few issues. Kyle is stepping out of his house to pick up the half a million dollars, and we see that his roof and porch and stairs are just littered with old newspapers. And we saw before that the paper boy had been delivering papers to his house for like a year and a half, and nobody ever picked them up or read them. And I liked the callback to this, and we see that he has never cleaned them up. He just grabbed one probably at random to read Doonesbury out of in the tub. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a nice touch. Lazy. Yeah. I have a backup panel, which was something we touched on a little bit already, and that's page 22, and it's Moon Knight stylishly opening his schlitz. I liked that one, too. Mm -hmm. He's kind of striking a little pose. Yeah, he's got his uh, cowl pulled back from his face. The hood is pulled back, so he's just wearing the the mask part. But uh, yeah, it's like, meh, all right. Well, looks like I'm going to drown. May as well pop a top. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. Pretty great. What a guy. Speaking of which, every issue of a Defenders comic has a best defender and a worst offender. In this issue, who was the worst offender? Assuming we can't pick Norris, even though I think we have in the past. Yeah, I don't think he's part of the group at this point. They pretty much kicked him out when they turned him over to Fury. Okay, well, he's an asshole. We all know that. I had Kyle for falling into the trap, Mm -hmm. for creeping on Val and Hellcat. Yeah. And just in general not doing a great job. Yeah, he's a fucking turd. 
and I had the same one. I had as like Kyle, and then I also did have Jack. But I, yeah, like I said, I don't think Jack is really eligible because he has very clearly been excommunicated from the group at the beginning of the issue. And he doesn't do anything to fight alongside any heroes except for be a dick about refusing a beer that he's offered. And that's not really an act of defiance. That's just mopery. Yeah, he mopes with the best of them in this issue. He does. Conversely, who was the best defender? Assuming we can't pick Moon Knight. Why can't we pick Moon Knight? Oh, because he's not a defender. Sure he is. Okay, I picked Moon Knight. Yeah, me too. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was cool, and he escaped the trap, and yeah. good job. Yeah, just all around, great job, Moon Knight. Cool, stylish. Like, even later on, when he's fighting Nighthawk, Scorpio still can't get over how cool Moon Knight was. <laughs> the Scorpio says, maybe I shall not release my hostage after all. And Kyle says, maybe I'll just force you to take me to Jack Norris. How's that for a maybe? And, uh, yeah, Scorpio's response is, Moon Knight was much more weighty. Of course, I offered him a beer for his efforts, but you, Nighthawk, alias Kyle Richmond, I have special plans for you. Two beers! Oh, jeez. All right, we have an accord. Yes, I th- for both. That's mm-hmm. a rarity. Mm-hmm. We all know that the Hulk rules, but in this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? Yeah, so... I often try and put a little bit of a spin or some extra words on them, but these were just really at face value for me. Like, if you're not happy with the way things are going, go to sleep, wake up and do something fun. Mm. Yeah. I think that's words to live by. Indeed. If you can pull it off. Wise words of wisdom from Sage Green Lips. Um, Sounds like a really bad cosmetic choice. Sage Green's not a healthy color. Yeah, probably not. But, I mean, if you've been smooting. <laughs> They're not going to know. I know. <laughs> I once insisted that the act of burning sage in an apartment was called not smudging, but smooting. And I, I was sure that I was right, that it was called smooting. To the point where we looked it up on the internet and I was still like, oh, well, it's weird that it doesn't list it here. Why is the internet wrong about this? It wasn't until like days later that I was like, maybe I was wrong? I enjoyed your surety and and being right about that. That was very satisfying. (laughs) I would imagine so. I had Hulk's rules in this being, you accept the hospitality that is offered you. Jack Norris was a real dick in this. Mm. Yeah, he's in a rough situation. And he is being, he is a hostage but he was such a whiny, mopey fuck about it. And I know that he's a hostage, but there's nothing about his situation that wouldn't have been improved if he had just had a cold beer. Mm-hmm. Saw so Moon Knight gets offered a beer. It's like, thanks for the beer. Kachuk. I was in a situation once where, I won't go into the details, but there was somebody there that I really didn't like, but I had to kind of hang out while some other stuff happened, and they offered me a beer. And my first reaction was to, like, pull a, a Norris. Yeah. But then I thought about it, and I was like, hey, free cold beer. Yeah. There's no way that will make this situation worse. Yeah, you're only hurting yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. So I drank that person's beer. You know why, Corey? Because you're a Moon Knight, not a Jack Norris. Thank you. I mean it. I'm glad. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the Hulk's rules. Be a Moon Knight, not a Jack Norris. Well... 
I think all we are left with is writing some wongs. Mm. In the year of our Lord, 1977, and the month of our Lord, June, what wongs needed writing? So I'll start with an apology. This is a little all over the place. But one of the wongs that Wong was trying to write was, you know how Steve can be kind of grudgy? Yeah. Sometimes? Yeah. Steve had had this weird thing with a parking, you know, parking's really, really tough by his sanctum sanctimonious being in the village and all. And uh, so he had this parking dispute with this guy, uh, Roy C. Sullivan, that was a, a neighbor of his. And so he put a little, a little hex on him. Ooh. But he thought he was putting it on Roy's car, but he actually accidentally put it on the guy. And that's that whenever uh, there are storm conditions, lightning would strike where the hex is. Oh, no. Yeah. And uh, on June 25th, Roy C. Sullivan was struck by lightning for the seventh Oh, man. And so Wong was like, okay, this is out of hand. The guy is going to get killed and Steve's going to feel horrible. So I got to go find Steve and put an end to this. That was made very difficult because uh, Steve was nowhere to be found. Huh, where was he? He was in the UK investigating a mysterious pub haunting, which, according to my sources, (laughs) resulted in the punk rock band The Sex Pistols being robbed and beaten by a pub. Oh, no! Yeah, so Steve was overseas trying to write that Wong while Wong was searching for him to write the Wong about Mr. Sullivan getting struck by lightning all those those times. Do you think it was like that extra-dimensional dude that was shaped like a house? That's, yeah, that is what I was thinking. Oh, yeah, probably. And it was like, I hate punk rock music. (laughs) I'm going to beat these guys up and take their lunch money. Oh, boy. Yeah, I saw that. The site that we used to get a lot of what happened on this day thing listed the Sex Pistols as being beaten up by a pub, and it was very confusing. But well well noted. Yeah, it is maybe the worst useful website. Yeah. There is. It's, we still use it. It's like Twitter. It's a garbage website, but what are you going to do? It is what it is. Well, that was part of what Wong was up to. But, I don't know if you remember, but last month, Wong ended up having to go to a series of Grateful Dead concerts. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Oof. He's still not totally over that. Oh, he's been so thoroughly smooted. <laughs> In part, the reason he's not over that is because he feels pretty bad about something that happened at one of those concerts. Wong was rocking a pretty strong contact high by the end of the fifth concert. And seeing as he was on the lookout for anything supernatural or evil going on, well... He thought he saw a Yeti. Oh. And he tracked down that Yeti, and he stepped on its feet, and he pushed it around, and he later realized it was not, in fact, a Yeti. It was Portland Trailblazers enter Bill Walton. (laughs) In Wong's defense, if you have seen what Bill Walton looked like in the 70s, it is an easy mistake to make. But it was unfortunate, and Wong felt very bad for it, especially because stepping on that Yeti's feet did give Bill Walton a lot of foot injuries later. So Wong felt that he needed to make amends, so he flew out to Portland with a special batch of Steve's strongest Jamaican incense, because Bill Walton was super into that shit. (laughs) And uh, it was Steve's special stuff, which is maybe why on June 5th, the Portland Trailblazers won the NBA championship. And that was the Wong that needed righted. Good job, Wong. Still feel bad that he probably did cut Bill Yeti's, Bill Walton's, 
Bill Yeti Walton. <laughs> Bill, Bill Ye- the Yeti Walton's career short with those foot injuries. But, you know, Walton had a good career. He got the championship with the Trailblazers, and then he won another with the Celtics as their sixth man in uh, 1986. So Go Yeti. Go Yeti, go. Good job. Thanks for joining us, everybody. This has been Tighten Up to Defense. It was a podcast. <laughs> If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. If you would like to contact us on Twitter, then go for it. That's at ttwasteland underscore. We are on Instagram. That is uh, Lisa Takes Care of That Account, and thank you for doing so. You can leave us reviews on iTunes. We've gotten some very, very nice ones lately. I, I read them all and... Uh, hold them close to my heart. Um, he does. It's creepy. Yeah, yeah. I roll around and um, I haven't seen that part, but I print out the reviews and then I swim through them like Scrooge McDuck. Wow. Yeah. Why did you think I had that old timey one piece bathing suit? Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Well, about that. Well, now you do. It's to swim through our iTunes reviews like I was Scrooge McDuck. Good to know. Mm-hmm. You have to wear a. One-piece bathing suit, otherwise you get little paper cuts all over yourself. There was a thing on, I think it was on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, about people with lots of gold that tried the Scrooge McDuck thing. And oh, they would just get concussions. Guy, guy got injured and he went and had to go to the hospital. I can't remember if that was a real thing that happened or like one of the fake things. I think it was a real thing, though. What a fucking idiot. Oh, yeah. I'm glad. Yeah, he like specifically converted a shitload of money to doubloons <sighs> or whatever they're called. Put them in his pool and jumped in and uh, woke up later in the hospital with like a broken back and a busted ankle. What a fucking idiot. If you want any proof that capitalism is not a meritocracy, you look at that. Yeah. What a dumb turd. Well, disclaimer is I can't remember if that was the real thing in the news story or the fake thing. Well, I hate that possibly imaginary person. Yeah, me too. You know who I don't hate? Hmm. Our Patreon donors. Me they either. make it possible for me to aspire to one day swimming around in a bathtub full of gold. Carefully. Yes. In a onesie. Yeah. Well, I'm going to wear the onesie. Money's really, really filthy. Mm-hmm. Probably gold less so, I would imagine. You should probably wear, like, a wetsuit. I do remember thinking that when you're seeing, like, Scrooge McDuck swim around, because, like, there's dollars and coins in there, and that stuff is filthy you man. could get a staph infection you totally could there was a bar in town where all of the employees got a staph infection because they were sharing a coke dollar um they were doing <laughs> cocaine with the dollar that had apparently been at some point acquired a staph infection possibly through its use in a strip club oh. um and they all got staph infections in their noses oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the point is, Scrooge McDuck, filthy motherfucker, just covered in dirt and filthy crime. Duck. Yeah, dirty duck. If you would like to contribute to us on Patreon, you can do so at Patreon.com/ttwasteland. Yep. If you do, you get access to a ton of bonus material, including the monthly podcast that Lisa and I put out called "What the Duck: A Podcast Most Foul, But with a W, Cause He's a Duck." That's the full name of the show. It's a lot of fun. There should be, we recorded another episode recently. It should be going up pretty soon. And also there's a few videos that I've made and there's some other bonus material that Corey and I have recorded and we hope you'll like it. People seem to, and I certainly like you doing that. It makes doing this show possible and makes it something that we 
are able to prioritize doing. Thanks for that. It, it also is just really nice to know that you guys care about it enough to contribute. And thanks. Yeah. Tighten up the defense. Catch the wave of the future with us. And hang 10 on it. How was fun? Okay. Bye. Thank you. And they knew it. Hostess Fruit Pie Theater presents... Wait, no, mm. scratch that. Unnamed Potential Liquor Base Sponsor presents... Captain America and the Sore Sir's Apprentice. A strange turn of fate has brought a plethora of monsters unleashed from the archaic laboratory of the wizard known as the Sore Sir. Captain America tackles the problem in a confrontation that looks like a scene set in a house of mirrors. Whoopsh. Whoopsh. Take that. And that. And that. And that. Cap's muscles tighten like steel springs. His powerful arm acts like a piston as it smashes the multiplying monsters with jackhammer force. But small gain, for one adversary is instantly replaced by another. There's no end to this multiplication of myriad malevolent misfits. If they attack in a group, my hopes would be subtract to zilch. The monsters break rank and form a tight circle around Cap. We, we are, are the Sorcerer's Apprentices. He tells us, get Captain America. Get Captain America. Uh-oh, an all-out attempt. I must use all my cunning as well as power. Don't count me out yet, group. When I stop, one of you will have this. Ooh, delicious! Alcohol from yet unnamed vendor. Sheer wizardry, this great. Alcohol, I forsake my old master, sorcerer. Such loyalty, ha! Now I'll surround them. We want that unnamed alcoholic product. Two, and the alcohol. First, you apprentices must be taught a lesson in citizenship. Then, on to your mentor, the Sorcerer. My civilizing begins with this masterful, as of yet unnamed alcoholic product. You get a big delight with every drink of unnamed alcoholic product. That advertising could be yours, vendors. For the low price of unnamed alcoholic product. Indeed. Or shipping. Yeah, probably shipping, too. To Portland. Both. Yeah. Yeah, we're not paying for the shipping. Mm -mm. Not with that great advertising you would just get. No. We just heavily implied that your unnamed alcoholic product could defeat monsters. Lots of them. And teach Civic classes. <laughs> and drive a Honda Civic, but not after having some of the alcoholic product. No, enjoyed responsibly only, mm -hmm. of course. Of course. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> How do you say that word? Inimitable? Inimitable? Inimitable. Inimitable? Inimitable. Inimitable. Can't be imitated. The ghost seeks entrance in his inimitable... Nope. Okay. Inimitable. The ghost seeks entrance... <laughs> the ghost seeks entrance in his inimitable fashion...